sex, marriage, and divorce. These were hot topics 2,000 years ago in Corinth, and they're still hot topics today. I trust that you found exploring Paul's answers to the questions raised about them interesting and, and relevant. Well, today we move on to an even hotter topic, at least for the Corinthians, eating meat sacrificed to idols. Now, before you dismiss this as being irrelevant, I want you to listen carefully to what Paul has to say, and I think that you'll discover a principle here that may apply to issues that are indeed relevant to your life today. But first, let's go back and look at the problem from the perspective of the Corinthians. Probably 95% of the people in Corinth worshipped at pagan temples. And part of their worship consisted of animal sacrifices. Now, just like the Jews, the pagans didn't burn everything they sacrificed on the altar. A portion of the animal was offered. Another portion was given to the priests and most of it was used for a banquet. And as in most pagan cultures, the, the social events in Corinth centered around pagan celebrations. And almost every banquet was catered with meat that had been sacrificed to idols. In addition to that, the butcher shops were filled with bargain-priced meat that the priests had brought in. They couldn't eat all the meat that was given to them, so they wholesaled it to the butchers. Now, all of this created a problem for the Christians. They didn't know if they should eat such meat or not. Was it appropriate for them to go to celebrations where the barbecue had been offered to an idol earlier in the day. Could they go over to the neighbors for lunch and help finish off the leftovers? Should they only buy meat that was certified idol-free? Well, some said it didn't matter at all. Others felt that it did. And Paul was called in to settle the debate. Now, again, while this particular problem doesn't plague us, what Paul had to say is relevant because we do have issues that are in some ways similar. Issues that we wonder about. Are they right or wrong? Are they moral or immoral? Or perhaps are they just neutral? with regards to morality. And if something is morally neutral, can it be made moral or immoral by the situation in which it's expressed? Now, I'm not raising a question that harkens back to the situational ethics of the 60s where it was insisted that nothing was in and of itself immoral, that anything, even adultery, could be moral if it was motivated by love and 
a higher good was accomplished by committing it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about things that fall into the gray area of ethics and morality, where things are not inherently black or white. Now, obviously, eating meat sacrificed to idols is not such an issue for us. But let's see if what Paul had to say about it might not offer us direction when thinking about matters that are. Interestingly, he begins by warning about the danger of knowledge while acknowledging that knowledge itself can actually free us from the restraints some might try to impose on behaviors that are morally neutral. We're going to be looking at the entire 8th chapter of 1 Corinthians this morning, starting with verses 1 through 6. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he's known by him. Therefore, Concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Now, it's quite possible that Paul is here quoting the group that was in favor of eating meat sacrificed to idols when he says, we know that we all have knowledge. Apparently, they had argued even to Paul that Everyone knew there was nothing wrong with eating meat sacrificed to idols because idols are nothing but chunks of wood or metal or stone. They're not gods. There's only one God. Everyone knows that. Idols aren't gods, so there's no problem eating meat that's been offered to them. Paul responds by saying they were right. Idols aren't gods, and their logic made sense. But they better be careful because knowledge has a way of making us arrogant, of puffing us up, making us think that since we see the truth in something, everyone should. And if they don't, there's something wrong with them. So before going any further, Paul reminds them that knowledge without love makes us arrogant, makes us look down on others, but love edifies. It builds people up. And love is the key to building relationships, even our relationship with God. 
So we must be very careful to temper our knowledge with love. But they were right. We can be freed from taboos through knowledge. And there are many things that have been forbidden by Christians that have not been forbidden by the Lord. Sadly, many people equate Christianity with the thou shalt nots of the church. Some churches have very long lists. My friend Roy DeWitt used to talk about clothesline Christians. Christians who had a whole laundry list of things they couldn't do. And some even equate being a Christian with following a list of rules. I'll never, never forget the day that my classmate from Lincoln left school. And he, his last words to me were, Rick, don't worry about me. I'll never smoke or drink. I knew he was in trouble. I knew he was in trouble. He knew the rules, but he didn't understand a relationship with Christ or how to maintain that relationship. And the rules he was worried about, which are commonly held taboos, they don't hold up in the light of Scripture. As I mentioned several weeks ago, the Bible condemns drunkenness and gives many warnings about drinking, but it doesn't insist on total abstinence. And while smoking has been pretty much demonized in our world today, the Bible says nothing about it. So declaring it to be sinful is to go beyond the authority of Scripture. And of course, the laundry list contains more than just two items. You know, Marilyn couldn't play cards or dice around her grandma because she thought them to be tools of the devil. And I wasn't allowed to play marbles for keeps. Now, we could go on. But the point is simply that many of the things we've been told we can't do aren't actually forbidden. In fact, we don't live under law anymore. We live under liberty. And we're not bound by one another's presuppositions and superstitions and hang-ups and prejudices. Romans 14 makes it very clear that we cannot judge one another on scruples, those gray areas of opinion. A legalistic brother cannot force me to accept his rules. And he can't look down his nose at me and call me a sinner or, even worse, a liberal, because I express my liberty in the Lord differently than he does. I don't have to allow my life to be dominated by the preconceived notions and prejudices of a narrow-minded brother or sister who likes to subjugate everyone to his opinions. I have freedom in Christ. Knowledge of his word and of his grace sets me free. 
And I can actually do many of the things I've been told as a Christian I cannot do. If the Lord hasn't said I can't do something, and it doesn't violate a clear principle of Scripture, then I can do it. I have freedom, liberty in that area. However, that's not the end of the matter. Paul goes on to add that my liberty must be controlled by love. Verses 7 through 13. However, not all men have this knowledge. But some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care, lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge... Dining in an idol's temple will not his conscience, if he's weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols. And through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. And thus, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, that I might not cause my brother to stumble. What they had said about idols was true. But not everyone understood it. And even if they could see the logic of their argument, not everyone would be emotionally able to accept what they said about it. Now, some people's lives had been dominated by idols before they became Christians. And any involvement with them at all affected them spiritually. It went against their conscience. They didn't feel they should be associated with idols in any way. So for them, eating meat sacrificed to idols was wrong. And if they were forced to do so, or belittled to the place where they felt they must, or even encouraged by the flaunting of freedom in front of them, it would be wrong. In fact, it would be sinful. If we make someone violate their conscience toward God, we sin against them and we sin against Christ. Christ died for them, just as he did for us. And they want to serve him 
the same as we. But if we make them stumble, if we make them build up walls of guilt and shame that hinder the relationship to their Lord, that's horrible. After all, what's really important here? Is it more important that I eat meat or that my brother be in a right relationship with the Lord? Is it more important that I express and exercise my liberty or that I express love for my brother? You know, just because I have the freedom to do certain things doesn't mean I should do them. Harry Ironside, a preacher from a generation or two ago, had a story that I think beautifully illustrates this. He told of being at a church picnic where a, a convert from Islam was present. When a girl offered him a ham sandwich, he declared no. He didn't eat pork. Now, she knew he was no longer a Muslim and expressed surprise that he wouldn't eat ham. She told him, don't you know that as a Christian, you are freed from all those food restrictions? He answered, yes, I, I know that. I know I am free to eat pork, but I'm also free not to eat it. I'm still involved with my family. And I know that when I go home once a year and come up to my father's door, the first question he will ask me is, have those infidels taught you to eat the filthy hog meat yet? If I have to say to him, yes, father, I'll be banished from that home and have no further witness in it. But if I can say, as I have always been able to say, no, father, no pork has ever passed my lips. Then I have admittance to the family circle, and I am free to tell them of the joy that I've found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I am free to eat, or I am free not to eat, as the case may be. So, yes, I am freed through knowledge, but bound by love. Now, again, that's not to say that just because someone doesn't like what I do, that I must stop. It doesn't mean that my activities have to be regulated by the narrowest person in Christendom that I can find. But it does mean that I must be sensitive to my brother and his needs. I have to be careful not to trample on his beliefs or endanger his relationship to Christ by what I do. Let's see how this works out in some of the commonly questioned issues of today, beginning with Yes, here it comes again. <laughs> Drinking. It may indeed be permissible for me to have a glass of wine or drink an occasional beer. 
I might even enjoy it. I don't know. I've never tasted it. But let's say I do. Do I go ahead and enjoy a drink with my friends, hoping no one has an alcohol problem? Or do I drink in secret, hoping no one who might be negatively affected by my drinking will find out? Or do I choose to avoid alcohol altogether, knowing that by expressing my freedom to drink, I might inadvertently lead a brother to violate his conscience, endanger his well-being, or even affect his relationship with Christ. How does love best control my liberty in this matter? What about smoking? Most everyone agrees cigarettes stink. But a pipe can actually smell good. And I'm told an after-dinner cigar can really be enjoyable. So do I go ahead and enjoy a smoke because I have the freedom to do so? Ignoring the fact that tobacco use and even secondhand smoke is known to cause all kinds of physical problems? Or do I give up an occasional pleasure to keep the nicotine monkey off the back of my brother? Do I let love control my liberty or not? And what about poker or making bets on sporting events or playing the lottery or going to the casino? The Bible doesn't prohibit such activities. And if I can afford it, Can't I just consider it entertainment? Of course I can. But what if by doing so I teach a brother to place his hope on games of chance instead of the Lord? Or open the door for compulsive gambling or put him on the road to financial ruin? Is that a chance I'm willing to take? Or do I let love control my liberty? I'm sure we can come up with other examples, but you get the idea. Just because I am free to do something doesn't mean I ought to do it. In fact, it may be wrong for me to do it. Now, again... That's not to suggest I shouldn't do anything that someone might object to. If that were the case, I could do nothing because there is always someone who can see something wrong in whatever we do. But I must be sensitive to my brother and be careful not to do those things that are likely to cause him to stumble. Now, it's true. It means giving up my rights. But Jesus set the example in this. In Philippians 2, 
Paul says that Jesus didn't exercise his rights. He didn't cling to his right to be honored as God, but gave it up to become a man and to die for us. And he did so because he loves us. He gave up his rights to become our Savior. If we know that kind of love, if we've experienced that kind of sacrificial love, surely we can give up some of our liberties for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Surely we can refrain from expressing our freedom so others might be freed and kept free from sins that might enslave them. You know, if you're not willing to surrender your liberties to the Lordship of Christ, for the sake of your weaker brethren, I'm afraid you've not surrendered your all. May we all, like Christ, let love control our liberty. Let's stand.